0: When I was a little boy, one of my favorite games to play was a game on the Nintendo Entertainment System called The Legend of Zelda. Well, I'm not such a little boy anymore. I still like to play that game. New system and new game, but I love to play it. My son and my daughter now love to play it with me. Essentially, this game, Zelda entails walking through this imaginary land of high rule and fighting against evil. And one of the things that you are given, one of the tools at your disposal as you navigate the game, is armor to help protect you against the evil. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul tells us that as we journey through this land, we're going to face evil as well. He says, we're going to face it in the forms of principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly realms. But then he says, take heart. Because the Lord has equipped us with a tremendous tool to withstand the forces of evil in this world. The very armor of God. Over the course of these next few weeks, we're going to explore all six elements of the armor of God. The belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, feet that are fitted with the gospel of peace, a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, and that tremendous sword of the Spirit. So grab your Bibles. As we begin this new series, finding ourselves outfitted in the very armor of God. Scripture today comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Paul actually concludes the letter to the church at Ephesus with this teaching about the armor of God. And in some sense, he's been working towards this moment throughout the entirety of the book of Ephesians. Which is why he begins his last words in this book with this phrase. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Be strong in the Lord, some translations say, and in the power of his might. You see, Paul wants to be very, very clear that the strength in which we stand is not our own. In fact, one could say that the major theme of the book of Ephesians is a theme in which we see the tremendous power of God being brought to bear to bring us from what we have been to what we shall be. The theme of the book of Ephesians is the tremendous power of God at work in our lives to take us from who we have been to who we shall be. I want to show you a couple of examples of that as we begin this series. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter one, beginning in verse three, where we read this. that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and all insight. Who is the main actor here? The very beginning of the book of Ephesians. Who's the main actor? God is. God is the one who blesses. God is the one who chose us. God is the one who destines us for adoption. God freely bestows grace. God lavishes redemption and forgiveness. Right out of the gate in the book of Ephesians, Paul wants us to be reminded who the author of our salvation is. It is God. And it's not just here. Look in chapter 2 with me for just a second. Paul writes, You were dead through the trespasses and sin. In which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But... God. This is who we were. We were the ones who were dead in our trespass and our sin. We were the one following the course of this world, the power of evil forces. We were disobedient. We lived according to the passions of our flesh. Paul says that is a universal human condition, and we would have stayed like that. But God but god saw fit to rescue us god took the initiative but god who is rich in mercy out of great love with which he loved us even when we were dead through our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved who's the actor who is it it's god God is the one leading us from what we have been to what we shall be. The first lesson we have to learn about the armor of God is that it is God who forges the armor. It's not me, it's not you. We are not the authors of our own salvation. We can't add a single thing to it. That's why Paul begins his conclusion by saying, Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Because if I'm going to stand up in this world, I'm going to face some challenges. I'll be outgunned and outmanned unless... I am equipped with the gifts that God gives me—the gifts of His salvation and His truth, God's gospel and God's Spirit. So Paul says, "Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might." And you might say, "Oh, that sounds—that sounds amazing. How how do we do that?" Well, it's a simple process: spiritual osmosis. The more time we spend in the presence of God's power, the more that power is transferred to us. If I want to be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His power, it means I need to spend time in daily prayer. I need to spend time in Scripture study. I need to spend time in the context of Christian community. Be strong in the Lord. I just wonder, have you been trying to live this life under the strength of your own power? How's that going? God never intended that. God instead intended for us to trust in Him such that when we encounter difficult moments, I don't say, I am strong enough to get through this, but instead I say the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is strong enough, powerful enough for this moment, and I will stand in the power of his might. Lesson number one about the armor of God, is we don't forge it, God does, and if we're going to stand, we must stand in God's power. But there's something else we see. If you grab your Bibles and open them to Ephesians 6, Looking back to our text in verse 11, we read these words. Put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, In the heavenly places. Put on the whole armor of God. Paul writes. So that. You might be able to stand against. The devil. From time to time. I get asked questions about the devil. About Satan. And. I want to spend a few moments here. Because the text brought us here for today. What is the nature of this enemy that we're fighting out there. Some folks have asked me, and and when, when I'm asked that, there are three things I always try to communicate when talking about the devil. And here's the first thing. For most of us, the concept we hold about the devil is more likely to have come from the mind of John Milton or Dante Alighieri in Paradise Lost or Inferno than it is to come from the Bible. So, when we are thinking about the spiritual forces against which we must stand, when we are thinking about Satan, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, are the things I believe about great evil, are those beliefs founded in Scripture, or are they founded in culture? That's an important question to ask ourselves. Because I believe that often we'll find that the things that we have historically believed about the devil, many of those things come from our culture, not from our scriptures. Here's the second thing I try to communicate. We need to be clear about the role that Satan plays in scripture. We need to understand what it is that Satan actually does. For example, Satan is not the one who's responsible for our sin. Now you might say, wait, 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 wait. Wait, what about Genesis 3? Eve and the serpent. Well, some of you are going to get rocked by this, and some of you already know it, but the Bible never says that serpent was the devil. There's no indication about that in the Bible at all. (laughs) That's something that we bring to the text. We don't take from the text. Now, My point is that the one who's responsible for Eve sinning in Genesis 3 is Eve, not the devil. And what I mean to communicate by this is oftentimes we, we try to give the devil more power in our lives than the devil actually deserves. So what is it that the devil actually does do? Well, there are really two roles the devil regularly per, uh, performs in Scripture. The first thing that Satan does is the Satan accuses. In fact, that's, that's what the, the name Satan means. Hasatan means the accuser in Hebrew. In Job chapter 1, we see Satan accusing Job. Satan walks into the throne room of God and says, what do you think of your servant, servant Job? And, and, and God says, he's, he's a good guy. And Satan says, let me test him. And so Satan then moves into a, a time of temptation and trial. We see that second piece. Satan as the accuser and then Satan as the tempter. We see that in the very life of Jesus in Matthew's gospel in chapter 3. As Jesus comes up out of the waters of his baptism, he is then driven into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan. The devil is the accuser. The devil tempts. But what we never see, my friends... Is the devil robbing people of their freedom? Which brings me to the third and perhaps most important thing that I tell people when considering this concept of evil, of Satan. If you're someone who takes notes, I want to encourage you to write this down The devil exists, but don't give him too much credit. The devil exists, but don't give him too much credit. Why? Because the scripture tells us the devil is destined for defeat. In Ephesians, Paul is preparing us for the battle that is to come, and it's not a physical war. He says it's a war with four opponents, rulers, authorities, Cosmic powers of darkness and spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And we hear those last two, the cosmic forces of darkness, spiritual hosts of evil. We hear those last two and it can cause us to shiver in our boots. But I'd like to take a moment and remind us all of something. If you are someone who is regularly concerned about the cosmic forces of evil in this world, I need to remind you of the nature of God's victory through Christ. That the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ do not constitute a close call in the battle between good and evil. Have you ever watched a boxing match? It's an interesting sport, boxing. And sometimes... Sometimes it's so close, it's almost impossible to tell who won. There are these things in boxing called a split decision. So after boxers fight 10 or 12 rounds, however long the the match is, if both fighters are still standing at the end, they go to the cards, three judges. And if it's a really close fight, sometimes they'll have something called a split decision where one judge thinks one boxer won and the other two judges think the other boxer won. Some fights are close calls. But I don't know if you remember a a fight back in 1988. It was between two titans of boxing. One guy's name was Michael Spinks. He entered this boxing match with a record of 31 wins and zero losses. Never, never, never lost a match. His opponent, in this particular fight back in 1988 was a young man by the name of Mike Tyson who entered the match with 34 wins and zero losses. Together, they had 65 wins and neither one of these men had ever lost and it was billed as one of the greatest fights in boxing history. Then the bell sounded. (laughs) 91 seconds later, Michael Spinks was on the canvas. Mike Tyson had knocked him out. 91 seconds of the first round. It wasn't a close call. It was an overwhelming victory. There are some battles that are close and others that are knockouts. And when Christ emerged victorious from the tomb, he delivered the final blow to death and hell, evil and their forces. When we are strong, it must be in the power of our God and with the knowledge that our enemy is already on his way to defeat. But there is indeed something left for us to do. Look we'll back in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, Paul says, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And the power of God's might against an enemy destined for defeat god calls us to stand stand and fight there's a great theologian of the 20th century evangelist by the name of Leonard Ravenhill a contemporary and close friend of A.W. Tozer ravenhill mentored such men as keith green Charles Stanley. He once preached on this passage from Ephesians chapter 6, which says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness of this world, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly realms. And he said of the modern church, he said, We could stop after the first three words. We could say of ourselves, We wrestle not. We wrestle not. Raven Hill's point was that as a people of God, we have not experienced revival because we are willing to live without it, willing to cede the fray and allow principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual hosts of wickedness to proceed unchecked. But Paul is calling us to do something very different to be strong in the power of God's might, to recognize that our enemy is destined for defeat. And then in the fullness of God's own armor to stand. Not in some miserly or crotchety way, but in love. Where do you take your stand? Will you stand against hopelessness? And the firm conviction that light has come to the world. Will you stand against hatred, in favor of the deeply held belief that the living God wishes to redeem all flesh. Will we stand for peace and grace and love? Will you stand for Christ? It is a question of courage, of trusting in God's might, of knowing our enemy is on their way to destruction Will we stand as part of the force, the inevitability of God's light dawning across the land? One summer morning, a man by the name of Ray Blankenship was preparing to have his breakfast. He lived in Andover, Ohio. As he looked out his kitchen window into the drainage ditch near his house, He saw a pink coat. And to so his, his great and utter horror realized that a neighbor girl had fallen into the ditch. And because of recent rains, the water was, was flowing very fast. One of the things that Ray Blankenship knew was that not too far from his house, all that water was going to be forced underground. And then it was going to pop out in a floodplain. What Ray Blankenship knew was that girl was about to die. So in his pajamas, he dashed from his home and ran along the ditch as fast as he could. He finally was able to get in front of the little girl and Without any regard for his own personal safety, he, he dove into the floodwaters. And as he emerged from, from the water, he was holding the girl's coat, and thank God she was still in it. As Blankenship records the story, about three feet before they hit that underground tunnel, his hand grabbed onto a rock. And by the time those amazing first responders could show up, Blankenship had actually already Gotten the girl to the shore. They were both treated for shock, but they were safe. And so on April 12, 1989, Ray Blankenship was awarded by the Coast Guard the Silver Life Saving Medal. And the award is, is fitting. Because Ray Blankenship was at greater risk to himself than most people knew. Ray Blankenship didn't know how to swim, church. Clothed in the might and the power of our God and his armor. Fighting against an enemy who is destined for defeat. The call of God is upon our lives to stand. I wonder, what will you stand for? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that our salvation comes not from our own strength, for if it did, it would falter. Our salvation comes from you. We must know, O God, that if we are to stand, we will stand in the strength of your love, the power of your might, the completeness of your armor. Remind us, O God, that though we may be afraid at times of what we'll face out there, you have already overcome this enemy, that it is destined for defeat and destruction. And Lord, as those who stand in your power, Engaged with an enemy destined for destruction. Give us your grace to stand. To stand for hope. To stand with conviction and love and grace. Now and always to the glory of Christ Jesus. May your people stand. Amen.